Councillor, it's really good to have you with us. It's, I see there's a photograph of you on the background. Is this a year or two ago? <laughs> that is a photograph of my oldest son when he was a baby. Oh. It's, not a pho- it's not a photograph. It's a painting. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you, Fiona. It really is. Um, I want to explore a little bit about your life and, of course, your, your husband's life as well. But um, first of all, for yourself, where, where did you grow up? What was life like for you as you grew up? I had a lovely uh, start to my life. I was born at the beginning of the first, Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I came from a, a place called West Kirby, which is on, on, on the Wirral very near to Liverpool, so I was a scouser, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, went to a, an ordinary little school, and uh, at the, uh, from the age of five, obviously, and then um, we used to have one dancing class a week as part of the curriculum, and I loved my dancing class. And after a while, the dancing teacher said to my mother that I showed promise. Oh. And my mother, my mother had been a, a ballroom dancing teacher in a former life, and so she got all excited about it and started to talk to the teacher to see what possibilities there were. And the upshot was that at the age of nine, I was sent 250 miles away to a boarding school in Camberley in Surrey. And it was a, a, a ballet school and they trained in uh, music and dance and theatre. Amazing. That's a, well, I would imagine it's a fairly traumatic thing to go all that way away from home. We, we, I don't know, was school difficult for you, being away from mum and dad? And I absolutely loved it. It was mm-hmm. so exciting. I was doing something totally different from all my friends, and I recognised that it was a huge privilege, and my parents had sacrificed a lot in order to be able to send me there. So I was so grateful to them, and I really loved good. it. Mm. And your father was a local GP, wasn't he? And, and it was That's at the right. time of the Second World War. How did that all impact you as a family? Well, he was very involved with a lot of patients who had been involved with the war. Um, he had served himself in the First World War. Um, and uh, he recognised that there were a lot of people who came from the colonies who were in, injured. And in those days they were called the colonies, weren't they? And mm. um, sort of Australia and Canada and so on. And they were injured and once they left hospital they had nowhere to convalesce and they weren't well enough and weren't able to get back home so my mother turned our sitting room into a convalescent home we had mattresses all around the floors and um, she she was wonderful with them and looked after them even shared our ration books with them (laughs) (laughs) but you survived we survived yeah Certainly boarding school in those days, and maybe still today, there would be chapel services and uh, it'd be sort of um, a religious tone to boarding schools. Was that true of your school and how did that impact you? What were your thoughts about God and Christianity? Well, it was it was very important in our school, actually. It was a, a, um, an Anglo-Catholic boarding school. And so religion was a very important part of every day. We had chapel every morning. We had we went to church three well to the chapel three Mm. times on a Sunday and communion three times a week and so on. And so I I just grew up as as I thought as a Christian. So if I'd met you say as a fifteen year old and said Fiona, are you a Christian? You would have said definitely yes. Right. Absolutely. So um, did you become a ballerina when you left school? I wish I wish I could say that to you. (laughs) Unfortunately, no, (laughs) I didn't get good enough to get into a ballet company. But the next best thing, if you didn't 
do well enough to get into a ballet company. You went in to learn the trade through going to um, pa doing pantomime, the chorus in pantomime and summer seasons. And summer seasons were uh, variety shows that functioned all around the coast of Great Britain in the summer. And so the idea very, was... Sorry. Were you a very long-legged chorus girl then? I, well, I did high kicks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And is this how you met your future husband, Roy? Well, indirectly. I never did a show with him. Uh, I, I'd see, I saw him on television. I saw him at the pantomime. Uh, when he just made a name for himself at the Palladium, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, but the connection was through Eric Morecambe. Huh. Now, I'd done a, the first pantomime I did after I left school was at the Coventry Hippodrome, and Eric and Ernie were on the bill. They were second on the bill. Harry Seacombe was top of the bill. Oh, really? It was, it was, they were well known, but it was before they did all the television programs mm. and they, they weren't at that famous at that point. Mm. But I got on really well with Eric and Joe and his wife. They had two small children at the time. And then I did a summer season later on at Morecambe and Eric and Ernie were actually performing in Morecambe. Mm. And so maintained a friendship through that, through the years. And they knew I was a starving dancer. <laughs> and I had my little garret flat in London and they used to invite me uh, to their home sometimes at weekends and they would fill me up over the weekend and then they'd give me all the leftovers to take back home so that I wouldn't starve for the rest of the week. Oh. That's how kind they were to me. Well, they were lovely. Now we're interviewing was... about your life but what was Eric Morecambe like to live with? <laughs> <laughs> well everybody knows Eric Morecambe, you don't need me to tell you do you? Was, was he the same at home as he was on stage? Oh yes, he was a laugh all the time. Was he? He, mm -hmm. he was brilliant and I, I, I've always want, loved people who make me laugh. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we were watching television one of these days that um, we were uh, together and um, Roy happened to come on the television. He had his own television show at that time. And I just said to Eric in a very stupid moment, oh, if ever you do a show with Roy Castle, can I come along? Because I'd love to meet him. I think he's so talented. <laughs> and all I, all I got from him was, oh, all right, love. <laughs> and I thought it wouldn't happen. So I just got on with my life and forgot all about having said that. And it was probably a couple of years later, Eric Fomian said hey Fiona I'm doing a television with Roy on Sunday do you want to come along well ah. I said yes please and now <laughs> Eric was at the Palladium at that time and I was in a show in London and so it was it was done on a Sunday so I was able to go to the show uh, it was a, a shepherd's oh no it was it was just outside London I can't remember the name of the theatre right and um yes so I met I met Roy that way, and it wasn't well, a very good. Well, you better good... tell us how you met Roy, because it's quite unusual. It's not a very good start, <laughs> but very typical of Eric, because just before the show started, Eric took me into Roy's dressing room to introduce me, and I was so excited. I thought this was going to be the best moment of my life, and it turned out to be the worst, because Eric just said, "Roy, this is Fiona. She's in love with you," and left. <laughs> left me blushing up to the roots of my then blonde hair wishing I could die I didn't know what to say we didn't say anything to each other and I just sort of turned around and left <laughs> but you must have met again well later on after the show was over we all went for a meal uh. together 
and and it got a bit more normal then. <laughs> and the rest they say is history. Yes, Roy well, started to take me out and actually three weeks later he proposed to me. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> but we didn't tell anybody for six months because we thought we ought to keep it quiet. <laughs> and I'm sure you were very hesitant and said, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All you, right. You know me too well. Yeah, well, Fiona. Um, so, so you married really a, a very popular, clean, incredibly talented superstar, didn't you? Yes, I don't know that he would ever have said he was a superstar, but uh, he was very talented. Yes. Well, he he, he was he, very he, ordinary and down to earth because he was a well, Yorkshireman, you know. A Yorkshireman indeed, yes. <laughs> um, but he had the program Record Breakers, didn't he? Which were, just tell us one or two of the unusual records he made. Oh well, he he had he broke nine records. One of them was that he did a million taps um, through uh, in under twenty four hours, tap oh, dancing. Amazing. And um, another one was that he parascended under all the bridges of the Thames. Yes. And then he wing walked from Gatwick to Le Bourget, and all of those were records. Amazing. And then he had to do a death slide from the top of Blackpool Tower down to the bottom, which was a, a third of a mile on a piece of wire. And uh, he said that was the most terrifying moment of his life. Really? Getting off the Blackpool Tower on a piece of rope and zooming down to the, the ground. But there he was doing it, singing, oh, I do like to be beside the <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, Fiona, life really should have been absolutely hunky-dory for you, shouldn't it? You were married to this, this well-known man. Life was going very well for him. You had a lovely family. But really, you hit problems, didn't you? I did. I hit big problems, and uh, I didn't know what to do about it. Now, um, I can't say that I suffered from clinical depression because I never had any medication. I didn't even go to the doctor about it. But I was very low in my spirit. Mm. And the most, the, the, I think the real thing that happened to me was I had very low self-esteem. And I'd look around at other mums and other women doing the same sort of jobs that I was having to do. And I always felt that they did it far better than I did. And however hard I tried, I always felt that I came out of failure. And it just got me down. And Roy was wonderful. He tried really hard to um, encourage me and, and bring me out of this feeling. And I always came back to this feeling of failure all the time. Hmm. And I just uh, felt that life wasn't worth living. Hmm. So, um, so the problem wasn't Roy at all. It wasn't that he was a, a difficult husband or anything. It was all yourself. It was your view of yourself. Roy was the easiest person to live with. He was a wonderful husband. He was happy if everybody around him was happy. And he mm. always tried to make people happy. And the one person it didn't work for at that time was me. Mm. And uh, I didn't want anything to go wrong with our marriage because I still loved him. But I just felt that I was rubbish. Mm. And I just came to the point of, uh, you know, I was almost suicidal. Were you a perfectionist? I was absolutely a perfectionist, which is why I felt that I was rubbish, because I never matched up to my own expectation of what that perfection should be. Did you, did, you know, did you go to church or anything like this at this time? Yes, we, we took the children to church. We were still involved with a, a, an Anglican church, actually, where we'd been married. Mm. And uh, 
I was quite involved with it, you know, doing all the things that women did in those days. If they were full-time mothers, you spent so many time, so many, so much time doing uh, charity things. Um, mm. uh, but that didn't help me. And uh, Roy said to me uh, once, you know, I don't know why you bother to go to church because by the time you get the children in the car and get them ready, you're in such a foul mood it can't possibly do you any good. <laughs> Yeah. And he he was right, but actually I go through the church door and put on this smile, pretending that all was well because I didn't want to let the side down. So mm. nobody knew how I was really feeling on the inside. Mm. Did you did you travel with Roy because he was doing things on both sides of the Atlantic, wasn't he? We, were you with Roy or were you separated a lot? I never travelled with him. I was. We made a decision before we had children that if we had children. Um, but I would always be at home to look after them and care for them. And he would go away when he had to and come back when he could. And mm. I understood that having been in show business myself, that didn't worry me. Um, and he was away most of the time, to be honest, you know. Mm. Did you, sorry, this is very sensitive, Fiona, but did you trust him? Because, you know, in show business, there are a lot of temptations, etc. Did you feel secure that he was faithful to you? He was always faithful to me and I always trusted him. He mm. went, went, most of the places he went to, apart from when he was working in America, but um, when he was going abroad with, uh, or when he was traveling up north to working men's clubs or anything like that, he always had his musicians with him. And so there was a group of them together mm. and uh, they used to play, play golf. And I think that was saving grace, really. <laughs> Now, your situation became desperate, didn't it? And you, 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 there was a time when you really cried out to God. Could you just, you know, fill us in on this story, please? Yes. Well, I was so low at that particular time that one morning after I'd taken the children to school, I went up to my bedroom, shut the door, got down on my knees and I just cried out to God. And all I said was, God, if you're there, you've got to help me and you've got to help me now because I've had it. I cannot go on any longer. Mm. That's all I said, but I meant it. And the amazing thing was that I hadn't even got up off my knees before I made that, uh, after I said that prayer. Um, and the phone rang. And when I answered the phone, the person who was at the other end was somebody I hardly knew. And she was actually a friend of my sister's. And I probably met her a couple of times. Would never have expected her to even know my telephone number, let alone anything else. And she just said, Fiona, I don't know why I'm phoning you, but I've had you on my mind recently and I had this sudden urge to ring you. She said, I feel as if you need to talk. I don't know what you need to talk about. Would you like to come around and have a coffee with me and, and we can talk? Mm. And I suddenly realized that this was God's way of answering that desperate cry for help. Mm. Mm. And I went round to her house then and there. couldn't wait. And um, I, I, I dumped Benjamin, our baby into Roy's arms and said I'm going out <laughs> and he thought I'd gone out for good he actually mm. thought I'd left him mm. for good because the tension was so difficult between mm. us mm. and off I went to this woman she only lived about a mile away and uh, she was a very good listener and she heard me out and I just poured out my problems to her which were not great were they I mean I was probably one of the most privileged people that you could imagine Mm. Um, and yet I was at rock bottom. And when when I finished, she she 
she asked me the most challenging question anybody's ever asked me in my life. She simply said, you know, Fiona, you think you're a Christian because you go to church. Mm. But have you ever invited Jesus to come in and take over your life? Well, I said, no, I hadn't because I didn't realize you were supposed to. I thought going to church and ticking the boxes and trying to be good and all the rest of it. That was it. Mm. And she then told me that she had suffered from depression for many years and that taking that step had totally turned her life around. So I thought, well, if it's worked for her, it could work for me. Mm. I, I would have tried anything at that time if I felt that it would work. And I'm so grateful to God that it was he who intervened at that moment. And so she helped me to pray. You prayed with her, did you? Yes. Um, she. It was a very simple prayer. Please, God, forgive me for the mess I've made of my life up to now. I recognize the way I've tried to run my life hasn't worked. So you come in and take it over and see what you can do with the rest of it. OK, <laughs> it was it was as simple as that. Really? And at that moment, I didn't know what what to expect. I thought it was going to mean I'd have to try even harder to be good and, you know, tick even more boxes and so on. But it was quite the opposite. It was just it was almost like all the tension, anxiety, fear, worry that I'd had for so many years had just melted away. And in place of it came this incredible peace. Huh. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know how it happened. But it was just Jesus in my life changing it that moment wonderful now you had to go back and see roy what did you say well i went back in my car about an hour after i'd met this lovely lady and god spoke into my heart and told me that i shouldn't tell roy what had happened because if i'd gone home and said it's all right darling i've become a christian he'd have done a runner that would have been <laughs> it <you know? laughs> um so god said I got to live it out by showing him I was different not by telling him I was different so I didn't say a word when I went home and I just got on with my life hmm. um, after a, a few weeks took a few weeks uh, he started to ask me where did you go that day and what happened <laughs> to you and why are you being nice to me <laughs> so and then I pulled out the story to him because hmm. I felt that that was the moment and his answer was wonderful. He said, oh, thank goodness. He said, I've been praying for years that you become a reasonable human being again. <laughs> <laughs> and so that initial impact where the peace sort of came over you, that, that didn't fade then? It never faded. That peace has remained with me. It was the 25th of February, 1973, hmm. no, 1975. And it stayed with me right through to today. Well, but that's wonderful. But Fiona, we know that that faith, that new relationship you had with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God through Christ, was going to be severely tested because Roy, as we know, became ill and everything that happened to him was sort of catalogued, wasn't it, in the in the media. But um, yeah. how did you discover the cancer or how did he discover it? Well, it was a, a very strange thing because we uh, Roy had been working in Australia and it was the very first time I'd ever been anywhere with him. But the children were sort of old enough um, for, for me to go. And he kept on saying, come on, we'll, let's go together. Mm. And uh, I'm glad now that I actually took that time to mm. do it. But on when when he got home, he was quite poorly. 
And I, I, I just mocked him. I said, oh, you've got jet lag, you know, poor old thing. You're getting too old to do all this traveling. Um, but it got worse. It was really bad. And uh, I had to get the doctor and an ambulance in the middle of the night because he thought he'd had a heart attack. He was desperately ill. Turned out that he had a virus that took all the saline out of his blood. And he was he was really at death's door then. Mm. And that uh, took a long time. He took a long time to recover from that. But during that time, he had tests. And I think because of that virus, the uh, they said that the lung cancer that was let, probably latent in his lungs for a long time, uh, you know, took took hold, as it were. Mm. And, and that was when they discovered that he had lung cancer. No, and they he wasn't didn't, a smoker, was he? He wasn't a smoker because they said, you know, uh, are, are you a smoker? And when he said, no, I've never smoked in my life. They said, well, you must have done because this particular kind of cancer is only found in smokers. And that was when they decided that there was the importance of passive smoking yes. because they were only just doing research into that at that time. So, Fiona, what was his reaction? Because it's, you know, it's a very heavy thing to be told you've got cancer. What was his reaction? He was he was told that if he didn't have treatment, he only had three months to live. If he did have treatment, possibly he had six months to live. Um, but he actually lived for two and a half years after that mm. with the mm. treatment. Um, he was very positive about it the whole time. He was very, he never was negative about it. And Fiona, were you, were you angry with God? I was never angry with God. No, um, I was questioning mm. um, why it happened. And I was obviously praying for healing, for total healing and a miracle, which didn't actually happen. Mm. But um, those two and a half years, were like a bonus to us because we made the most of every moment and and Roy used to say well we've got to get on with our lives but we've got to stop and smell the roses on the way and we did that you know we made the most of it so that we didn't look back with regrets. Hmm. You were with Roy when he died? Yes I, I was fortunate because um, he was able to stay at home right to the end and uh, I, I nursed him. I don't think I did it very well, poor man, but I did what I could. And I think I, I was very keen to let him be at home because he'd had so much time out there in the public. I felt that we needed time together and it needed to be a peaceful time. And, and had, had Roy got a similar faith to yourself? Yes, he did. He had a very, very simple faith. When he saw... Uh, my, my, the change in me he said well I better do something about it and mm. he you know he 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 was very real about it mm. uh, my mine came in one moment you know it was a, a, mm. you know just an amazing miracle for me his was a gradual understanding of it he couldn't mm. tell he couldn't tell you the day that it happened but it obviously became very real and he was so peaceful about mm. what happened when he was ill. Mm. Of course, he's still he's still greatly loved, isn't he, and remembered, and uh, and I suppose missed. And you must find that immensely. But but actually, life for you took on a well, it became a, a whole new volume, didn't it? Because after Roy's death, a sort of life of sharing what Jesus has done for you became part of your ministry, didn't it? 
was quite extraordinary how that happened. I mean, I'd done quite a lot of just speaking at different churches or events, coffee mornings and things like that, um, telling my story. Mm. But it it um, grew in that I was very involved because before Roy had died, um, he'd started to become involved with a thing called Cause for Hope, which is uh, was uh, what eventually became the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation. Mm. So he was um, doing a lot of work trying to make awareness of smoking and the dangers of it. Mm. And it's sort of the baton was given to me after Roy died and I, mm. it just never stopped, mm. which was extraordinary. But I had lots of opportunities as a result. Well, um, one of them I find very moving, if you could uh, recall this, Fiona, you were asked to go on a television interview um, in Northern Ireland very shortly after Roy's death, weren't you? Just tell us what yeah. happened then when you came back to the airport in London. That's right. Well, Roy had his, uh, he, he'd written an autobiography during the time that he was ill. Hmm. And it unfortunately wasn't able to be published until two weeks after he died. They were yeah. really working hard to get it done in time but it didn't happen so that was one of the things that I had to take on because they asked if I would go and do some interviews and one of them was in Northern Ireland which I did I was absolutely terrified because it was not my scene to do that sort of thing but anyway as I was coming back got to Heathrow and you know how you go into the concourse and there are all these uh, taxi drivers with people's names on and right in front of me was a, a woman a young woman and she fell into a, her boyfriend or husband's arms and they embraced and I was behind them and I just stood behind them not not completely close to them and I sobbed and I thought I haven't got anybody to come and collect me from the airport nobody to give me a hug and I've got to get my car go to the, the long-term car park and get my car out and drive home to an empty home and all the rest of it and I suddenly realized at that moment that my those tears were tears of self-pity and I thought well that is the sort of beginning of, of, of depression I didn't want to go down that road at all and I recognized the difference that moment between tears of grief and tears of self-pity so huh. from that moment onwards I wouldn't allow myself tears of self-pity and I stood behind this this couple saying stupid woman pull yourself together you've had <laughs> 31 wonderful years with a lovely husband. Now get back to that car and go home and stop complaining. <laughs> but it was a wonderful lesson at that moment. And it mm. really made me realise how fortunate I was and always to be grateful. Mm. Now, Fiona, looking back, uh, you know, many years since you became a Christian, but what would you say the Lord Jesus Christ means to you now? What, what's the relevance of it to you today? Well, he gives me peace as I said, has never left me. He gives me a purpose. And I I know that he's in control of my life. And I want him to be that way. Mm. I want him to lead me on. And every day I ask him where I should be and what I should be doing. And if there was a, something that I was ignoring or not doing, that he would show me what to do. So even in difficult circumstances, I just know that if he's in control, I don't need to be afraid. And mm. that has and got me through and mm. I, I I just long to tell other people who might be going through similar situations mm. that he is well he's the only answer isn't he mm. to he give is. people peace 
and, and you know, one day you and I were all going to die. Um, when you die, would you be certain of going to heaven? I trust the Lord for whatever happens. And that's what the Bible says. And mm. it's not because I'm good enough. That was the lovely thing to know that we ha it's by his grace mm. that we're saved. It's not because I've ticked the boxes or I'm good enough or I've done everything right in my life. No, I haven't. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God through Jesus. And he's mm. paid the price for me. And I feel that that's worth it. Eternity. Absolutely. I can't wait. Wait, well, you can't wait. <laughs> when you say he paid the price. So when he when he died, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world was laid on Jesus, wasn't it? And it, That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's a difficult one to understand. Mm. Um, but I trust God because he changed my life. Mm. If he hadn't changed my life, I would be telling a story. That, that, mm. You know, just try, try to be good and you'll be all right. No, it's not like that. Mm. It's a life. It's new life in him. Have you ever regretted becoming a Christian? Not one minute of any one day in all the years since Amazing. I became a Christian. I've only mm. ever been thankful. Mm. And 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 you, clearly you're a joyful person, aren't you? Where, where does the joy come from? It comes from inside <laughs> <laughs> because um, I, I'm just so grateful. I have so much to be thankful for. And I mm. think... Um, I think that's something that we all need to take on board, especially at this time when things are difficult. Mm. But if we look around for what, what we can say thank you for. I've had the privilege of, of, of working with a charity, um, which is take global care, it's called, and it's taken me to many, many countries around the world. And it's all to do with children who are at risk. Mm. And I've seen the most horrendous situations and children living in abject poverty, and yet the love and the, the generosity of, the, of those people in such poverty is, is very humbling. Mm. And there isn't a night I go to bed and I don't say, thank you, Lord, I've got a bed to sleep in, I've got electricity, I've got central heating, I've got food in the fridge. I have so much to be grateful for. And Fiona, just one final question. Do you have a favourite Bible verse? Well, I've, I've probably got a lot of favourite ones, but I think the most important one to me is John 17. And shall I read it to you? Yes, go on. Yes. Um, it's verse 20. And it's Jesus. Um, they sometimes call it the high priestly prayer, don't they? Because mm. he's praying to his mm. father. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Hmm. And I feel I felt so excited when I first read that verse because I realized that Jesus was praying for us, for me, for you. And because of the faithfulness of the disciples at that time, they shared the gospel. That's the only reason that we know it today, isn't it? And so um, I feel that's my my mission to carry on, to hand it to the next generation. Mm. Fiona, thank you very, very much. So helpful and lovely to have you with us. And hopefully we'll see you in a few minutes time. Thank you. God bless thank you. you, Fiona. Thank you.